Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. You have to stop this secret series by book number. Oh, she's yawning. Five. This I is the hive. hive. This is the last book, people. And I have a feeling I'm going to be yawning too. I've got my coffee here. It's early morning. Yeah, last night. Mm-hmm. I was going in the cat room, mm-hmm. and I went down on my knees so I could get them, and I grabbed. Binks and Patches. Binks is mm-hmm. all black. Well, mm-hmm. he's a black tabby. Mm-hmm. And Patches is younger than him, mm-hmm. and she's a calico cat. Yeah. Yep. And I grabbed them both, and um, I called her to help me put them back. Yeah. And you're like, what? And then you scratch yourself on the, on the on a nail. Well, in the carpet because. Yes. Oh, that cat. If you guys have cats, Mm -hmm. and they scratch at your carpet, and then like when you touch it, they're like, "Ow!" Because the nails are still there. So here's the deal: we don't let our cats out of into the main area because um, they claw the couch. Yeah, so we're just letting them stay in one room. Yeah, so they have the whole room to themselves. But later, our cat later is a pain in the you-know-what, and she will ruin the freaking carpet. Yeah, because one time she was be- she would always um, annoy you, but she used to be in your room. Mm-hmm. Well, she still does it there. Well, no. Well, no. Your cats... the cat, All the cats used to be in your room, but the, the kittens used to be in that room. Yeah. Still? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Until we moved them in your room to mm-hmm. see how they would be. Yeah. yeah. And then... Hey, you know what? It's been two minutes. I think we should uh, wrap this up and yeah. jump into reading. Okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Basically, the cats have their own room. Yeah. Okay, ready? Chapter three, The Big Stuff. Page 23. They found Grandpa Larry standing by the table of books. How much is this old set? A scowling man was asking. The encyclopedia... Why? How much is this old set? This is the encyclopedia. Why, this is a classic and it's not for sale, said Grandpa Larry automatically. Then what is it doing out here? The customer replied angrily. Fine, twist my arm. Five dollars, said Grandpa Larry crumpily. And maybe I'll just, ah, heck, 25 cents. Deal. The gleeful customer started scooping up the encyclopedia volumes and tossing them into the cardboard box. Hey, Grandpa Larry cast tugged on a grandfather's sleeve he was wearing a vintage hawaiian shirt and a panama hat as if he were dressed for a tropical vacation which by the way tomorrow is dressed for your favorite vacation spot so we have to get all your disney stuff together oh my god yeah um um grandpa larry smiled in delight Cass, i didn't know you were here well i didn't know you were moving said Cass accusatorily your mother didn't tell you we were going on an around the world cruise Cruises are for old people. You hate that stuff. Hold on. I need a drink of my... I should have been drinking coffee while you were talking, huh? Sorry, guys. Pause. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, better. What do you mean? We are old people. I still don't understand why you have to sell everything. Are you going to come back? What about my graduation? Larry put his arm around Cass. You know as well as I do, this place hasn't been the same. Uh, hasn't been uh, 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 hasn't been the same since Sebastian left. He said gently, "Aw, the dog passed away." Cass nodded. Six weeks earlier, the ailing basset hound who survived a long, the lo- long beyond the dire predictions of veterinarians had died in his sleep. Cass, who loved Sebastian as if he were her own dog, had been unable to bring herself to visit ever since. All of this stuff, it was bogging us down, Grandpa Larry gestured at the piles around him. And besides, you know what they say, you can't take it with you. While Cass tried to absorb what he was saying, Grandpa Larry turned to Max Ernest. Max Ernest, my friend, anything you want, I'll give you a great deal. It's called free, he whispered confidentially. I have some joke books if you'd like. Also, a set of load dice, loaded dice. Oh, I think those are trick dice for magicians. Thanks, Grandpa Larry, said Max Ernest, wistfully eyeing some tables around him. But right now, um, Cass had a question. Oh, yeah, Cass, said Cass, who was not upset at all that she'd forgotten the purpose of their visit. Grandpa Larry, you, have you seen an old big trunk, you know, the kind with like a lot of travel stickers on it? Larry looked curiously at Cass. That wasn't yours, was it? We couldn't remember where we picked it up. We figured it must have been one of those 1970 weekends. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's not mine, said Cass. I was just wondering if you had a trunk like that because we're supposed to be doing a unit on ancient Egypt and we're doing putting stuff together and a box of all the stuff would take it to the afterlife. Grandpa Larry laughed. Are you, a mu- are you mummified? You mean? Exactly, said Max Ernest. Max Ernest nodded, playing along. On Friday, we're going to do a field trip to the Mummy Exhibit at the Natural History of a museum. That part, at least, was true. Um, as for the afterlife assignment, it had been turned in already. Well, the trunk, I think, would be perfect. It's a time capsule by itself, said Grandpa Larry. I, last I saw it, Grandpa, Hall, Grandpa Wayne was hauling it outside. Grandpa Wayne, who was dressed in a not-tropical... Not in tropical finery, but his usual grease-stained mechanic overalls was in the middle of explaining the intricacies of repairing a 50-year-old black-and-white TV to a customer. Oh, he better have a shirt on. <laughs> I think he does. It's all greased up and dirty. Yeah. When Cass and Max Ernest ran up to the customer hurriedly and gratefully exhausted himself, M- Grandpa Wayne remembered the trunk he had spent 45 minutes trying to open up the lock before giving up but there are so many people coming in and out he couldn't remember where if he'd sold it or not try looking in my truck that's where all the big stuff is the big stuff said the big stuff lying by wayne's rusty old truck included such marvels as a purple player piano a tuba with a small palm tree growing out of it and a day aquarium with miniature pink castles that was home to a familiar to a family of cockroaches. Unfortunately, there was no trunk in sight. Cass and Max Ernest looked nervously, neither of them voicing their fears. 
What's Sebastian's bed doing here? He asked. Max Ernest asked, nodding at the at the threadbare doggy bed lying on the truck's open tailgate. Nestled on the bed was a ceramic cookie jar shaped like a bone. Next to the bed was a sign, not for sale. Cass bent down and sniffed Sebastian's bed. It smelled like him. It smells like him. Max Ernest lifted the cho- the, co- the lid of the cookie jar and quickly closed it. What? Moldy biscuits or something? asked Cass. Something. What? Max Ernest wrinkled his face. Sebastian. Cass winced. Oh, you mean his ashes? Unless they're just cleaning out the fireplace. Cass stared at the jar. They must be taking him on a cruise. On the cruise. The Egyptians mummified their pets all the time. It's kind of the same thing, said Max Ernest. I'll bet there, there's going to be some cat mummies at the museum tomorrow. Hey, is that the trunk? The jester's trunk was lying in the shadows beneath the tailgate, and Cass had resisted crying ever since they arrived to the garage sale, but the sight of that trunk made her eyes swell with tears. What's wrong? asked Max Ernest. Aren't you glad we found it? It's Sebastian. He always helped me find everything, and now, look, even when he's dead, he still is. Cass laughed and wiped her eyes with her sleeve. The trunk was much too heavy for the two of them to carry all the way to Cass's house. They decided that they would get their friend Yoyoji to help them move it later that evening. In the meantime, they pushed, pushed, pulled, heaved, shoved, lifted it into the small cement yard behind the firehouse. Hopefully it'll be safe here for a few hours, said Cass, standing victoriously over the trunk. Her face pink and sweaty. My grandfather's hardly ever come back here, as you can tell. She gestured to the long vines hanging from the firefighter's old basketball hoop. Aren't you going to open it, distressed Max Ernest? And he put his hand on the trunk. Um, the layers upon layers of travel stickers and receipts that made his trunk look slight, slightly, slightly forbidden, but all of the more tempting. He couldn't believe he'd put, all, put in all of that effort and wasn't going to be rewarded with a peek? For all we know, it's our only chance. When we come back, it'll be dark, and then... Okay, okay, said Cass, who, in truth, wanted to look inside the trunk as much as Max Ernest did. Just don't ask any questions about, you know. I shouldn't have said anything about it. Then how am I supposed to help? You're not. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Okay, but just let me ask one question, said Max Ernest. I was thinking about this story of the doctor who discovered the it, remember? The pharaoh executed him after he told the pharaoh about the, you know what? Cass gave him a look and said, yes, I, that said, yes, I remember, and I don't want to talk about it. He's the one who wrote, wrote on the papyrus, right? Cass nodded imperceptibly. <laughs> Do you think that the papyrus was stolen from him? From his grave? It must have been, right? I mean, how else? Cass glared at him. Max Ernest, do you want me to open up the trunk or not? Yeah, yeah, okay. Equally impressed and dismayed, Max Ernest watched Cass work the large, complex combination lock that had stymied him months earlier. Oh, stymied? That had stymied him months earlier when they first tried to open the trunk. When she raised the trunk's lid, Max Ernest gasped involuntarily. That hadn't been exaggerated. Treasure was the right word. Inside the trunk, coins and jewelry. More? No, same. He just had never seen it. Remember? Other precious objects sparkled tantalizingly, seemingly as as bright and shiny as the day they first laid eyes on it. 
wow, your great-great-great-whatever-grandmother must have been a pretty good thief. Yeah, she was, said Cass proudly, but she gave most of her stuff to the poor. I keep thinking that there must have been a reason she and the jester left all of this for me. Cass started pulling things out of out for, for inspection. Max Ernest regarded the object with awe, almost afraid to touch them. At first, I was going to donate it, you know, for disaster preparedness, to fight global warming or child slavery, she said, peering into the gold candlestick to see if any anything was hidden inside. But then I thought, who's going to believe it's mine? Cass opened a small silver box and found that it was full, full of uncut gems. They were beautiful even in their raw state, no doubt very precious. But they didn't provide what she was really hoping for. Another clue about the secret. Max Ernest turned his attention to the brass lock. He still didn't get over the fact that Cass had managed to open it without him. He, not Cass, was supposed to be the expert combination cracker. Was she capable of finding the secret without him, too? Of course he wanted to learn the secret. So much depended on it. And yet, hey, did you see this before? He asked, examining the back of the lock. It protruded deeper into the trunk than might have been expected, like a boy stuck to the inside of the trunk. Why? Well, I was wondering if the back of the lock, why the back of the lock was so big, and then I saw this groove here, and I'm thinking that that might... He gripped the back of the lock and twisted. It unscrewed like the top of a jar. Come off like this, he said, now holding it in his hand. The back of the lock turned out to be a small box with a cracked, papery old leather inside. Inside was a gleaming gold ring tied to a strip of shredded linen. Look, I think it's Egyptian, said Max Ernest. You think it belongs to the doctor? Give that to me, Cass said quickly. Max Ernest reluctantly, reluctantly handed her the ring. Unexpected, heavy for, unexpectedly heavy for its size, it was molded from solid gold and resembled a signet ring. Signet? I don't know what that word is. On top was a flat ov- gold oval flat inlaid lapis lazuli, the, br- the brilliant stone, the brilliant blue stone favored by the Egyptians. Some of the stone had been chipped away, but not enough to, to not enough was left to show the original image. A long-beaked bird presented in a profile of the classic Egyptian style. When Cass saw the bird, her pointy ears tingled with excitement. Hey, um, is there a hieroglyph that looks like this? Why? Does, that, does it look like one of the hieroglyphs you saw? Max Ernest knew that the secret was supposed to be Cass's, and Cass's alone. They had been warned repeatedly that it was dangerous for anyone else to share the knowledge of the secret, but it was not possible to ask. Just answer the question. I thought you didn't want my help. Cass gave him a look. Yeah, it's a hieroglyph of abyss. The abyss was worshipped by the Egyptians. You, So you see a lot of them, said Max Ernest, studying Cass's reaction. But it isn't always just an abyss. Sometimes it's a symbol for Thoth. Cass tried to keep her facial expressions neutral. Thoth? Remember from the spa, the god of magic writing and the judge of the dead? Years before, before, near the beginning of their adventure, together the god's name had provided vital in their quest to, to save Benjamin. Benjamin Blake at the Midnight Sun Spa. If you think about it, that would make more sense than, than an abyss. The sec, I mean, it's supposed to be about immortality, immortality, right? Max Ernest, thanks, but that's enough, okay? 
his mouth tightly closed, and Max Ernest contemplated this unwanted and unexpected shift of, shift in relationship with Cass. In the past, the quest for the secret had always been brought the two of them together. Would it ever be like that again, he wondered, or would the secret forever come between them? Avoiding his glance, Cass examined the ring. After the papyrus had turned to dust, Cass had presented, had the presence of mind <sighs> to sketch the hieroglyphs in her notebook. But her memory was so hazy and her, and her knowledge of hieroglyphs was scant. At best, the hieroglyphs she'd drawn bore a shaky resemblance to the originals. During the studies of Egypt, of the Egypt unit, she compared her drawings over and over again to the hieroglyphs that she'd seen, but with little luck. Before today, she'd succeeded in identifying the first two of the five hieroglyphs. They meant because and what, or she, did, or she thought they did. Now that the old, now thanks to the gold ring, she realized that the third hieroglyph was depicted an abyss. She recognized the long curving beak, the rest of the bird, a football shaped body atop a stick like legs had been, had been too smudged to read, at least in her recollection. It wasn't much and it didn't make much sense, but it was the beginning of the secret because what abyss or perhaps because what thoth. Ooh, spooky. <laughs>